0: Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I am Russell Toby,
1: And I'm Robert Diamant.
0: And this is Talk Art.
1: Welcome to Talk Art.
0: How are you today, Rob?
1: Today, Russell, I am meditating on hope and the power of creativity and art and culture to change hearts and minds. And it's the one thing I really do think we have to fight for and protect and do everything we can in times of crisis and trauma and war, which is what's happening obviously right now in the Ukraine. And today we are going to be joined by a Ukrainian artist who is representing Ukraine in the Venice Biennale. And it looked touch and go like the exhibition might not be possible for obvious reasons. It is now going to be going ahead which I think is incredibly important because this work is a an outstanding artwork. It's so impactful and so relevant and timeless and relates very much to the human condition. And even though it was made, you know, decades before, it's it's incredibly relevant to the current time. And also I think we have to hold on to hope and ideas that art is one of the only things really that I think art is a really special space. It's a it's a, a space that um, needs to be protected. So we would like to welcome to talk art Pavlo, Pavlo Makov.
0: Makov. Hi, Pavlo.
2: Hello, Pavlo. Thank, thank you very much. Hello, hello.
0: Where in the world are you now, Pavlo?
2: Well, uh, I made a long journey from Kharkiv after practically eight, eight days of spending there during the war. And then I'm now in Venice, and you know, also we are trying to. Rebuilt everything that we had to leave behind, you know, in Kiev, because the project was practically ready, practically ready to be sent to Venice, you know. But then, of course, due to the circumstances, which everybody knows now, you know, we had to leave the the major, big part of it because it's made of metals, quite heavy, and transport would be practically impossible um, under the circumstances. And uh, we took, but Maria Lenko is a curator, one of the curators, you know. Elizabeth German and Boris Veloninka and Maria Lenko could leave the country and she could, she managed to take 78 bronze funnels for the fountain with her in the car. And now we have to remake the rest of the project here, you know, in Italy. And we found support and really help from the uh, office of the Biennale. And uh, hopefully, we'll make it
0: right. Well, Well, let's let's. Talk about all this then. So you were you were, you were saying you were in Kharkiv with your family uh, where you lived with your wife, your son, your daughter-in-law and your 92-year-old mother. And uh, there's been a few articles that
2: were coming out. Not exactly like that. you know. My son and his girlfriend and her mother, they left uh, two days later and they left by their own car. And I took my wife, my mom, she's 92, yeah, that's true. And then I took uh, Tatiana Borzunova, who is a graphic designer, who is involved very much in this project with the Venice Biennale. We are very old and very good friends and her mother. So I was me and four ladies in the car, you know, and some some rucksacks, you know, with us, you know, because my car isn't great. I mean, it's not big enough, you know, to carry anything else, you know. So I, I left all my works behind practically and that's it, you know. But you know, at the moment, when the moment when you leave, when you leave the city, when you leave city under the missile attack, you know, and it was exactly like that. You know, you don't think about your works, about anything else. You know, all this artistic stuff starts to be much, much less important. You know, so. Unfortunately, unfortunately, I don't know, you know, but you feel the real, you feel the real difference between the human life and the art. You know, well, art is important. I don't say that art is. I mean, I'm doing that all my life. You know, I'm involved in it, but. But still, but still it's like that
0: well we're watching from over here I mean as as the world is watching it feels like the world is united completely with Ukraine and we're seeing this going off and, and we know that the city Kharkiv, which is Ukraine's second largest city, Kiev being uh the capital um but this story yeah this story this story you were saying about you know, the Venice Biennale representing Ukraine. um, There was three, just three curators involved. There's uh, Lizaveta German, Maria Lenko and Boris Filonenko. And you've been, since the beginning of the invasion, you guys have been in constant contact with each other, working out the logistics of how to make sure that Ukraine is represented by yourself.
2: Well, you know, from the very beginning, I think that uh, Maria Lankov she just was, let's say so, that we were more or less ready for this beginning of the war. You know, it was just a question of time for us. You know, we knew it will happen. You know, somehow we hope it wouldn't, but we knew it will. And therefore, it's a strange combination of feelings. In fact, very strange. And then um, uh, Masha was ready to bring the work. She, She was ready to bring the funnels because the funnels was just two weeks before they were ready. They were casted, you know, and she, and they're not very heavy, and not, and not, and not too big. Let's say so. The seventy-eight funnels for the fountain, and with the funnels, we understood we could make at least make an essential thing. You know, it wouldn't be water; it wouldn't be anything like uh, the like we wanted it to be as a fountain, you know. But at least we could make the image, uh, and we could make the metaphor, you know, being seen by by the audience. During the Biennale, but then, the, as far as I understood, when Masha arrived to Italy, we found, or even before, from Vienna, we found the possibility to remake this part of the fountain uh, with the um, with the basin, with the wall that's all from, made from metal, you know. And hopefully, we'll make it here. There is a firm in Milano who is doing it right now. So, and the office of the Biennale is really helping us with the um, with the material side of of that. And so, somehow, somehow, we very much hope that it will be presented there like that.
0: Yeah. Well, let's talk about the the, the work in general. So, you, you've mentioned that there's these seventy eight bronze funnels. Now, this yeah. is a, uh, your work that you're showing is called the Fountain of Exhaustion, and this was a work that you made in 1995 at a time when you felt the world was exhausted by you know, the internet and, and the way that people are connecting with each other.
2: Mm. But now
0: it feels like you've updated the work.
2: No, let's see, let's see, let's see. It's not, it's not extremely like that, <laughs> exactly like that. You know, I would like to say that in 19, first of all, I met in 1994, And in 1994, you know, it was my reaction on the local situation. There was no kind of vital energy in the society at that time, after the collapse of the Soviet Union. And I reacted on that by making this fountain. And plus, you have to understand that mostly I'm working in the two-dimensional art. I'm working with drawings. I'm working on paper, printing as well, you know. And this time I decided to make something three-dimensional, which is not very real I'm doing. I'm still doing sometimes, but not very real. Not very often, I'm sorry. Not very often I'm doing that. And um, at that time, it was, let's say, my answer to the local situation. In the last 10 years, not now, but in the last 10 years, even before the war started in 2014, I realized that this fountain is getting more and more global senses. Because the exhaustion, we we, we can speak about the exhaustion of humanity, and humanity is our relations with nature, is our relations uh, between the countries, is our relations between each other. Also, you're absolutely right to say this is our relations that are, from my point of view, partly broken due to the fact that they all went into, into the computer. And this is all things, you know, that I was kind of we we', we lacking our privacy because you're absolutely uh, under 100 percent control, due to the fact that you only have your iPhone in your pocket, you know and things like that. This, all things gathered together. Plus, I was thinking many, especially after the beginning of the war, I was thinking many times about the fact that to a certain extent, the Western world, which you can say, the world of the democracy. I'm. I'm not say, saying that it's. It's of course different countries: Europe, United States, Australia, Japan, and all that stuff. You know, it's also exhausted because, you know, you, how can you uh, sitting on two chairs? You know, having, for example, cheap energy from the totalitarian regime. You know, and 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 then still you want to keep your democratical principles, but these principles is under a certain. Uh, threat because you, you start to be dependent, definitely dependent on the, on the totalitarian uh, way of thinking, you know, because the energy is coming from there. And I was thinking also about that. And when the war started, you know, in 2014, it was obviously obvious that uh, democracy can't protect itself. It, it's not, it doesn't have enough force. And even now we can see it's scared, it doesn't have enough vitality. Again, on the global level already, not on the local level of one country, it doesn't have enough vitality to protect itself. And a totalitarian country is, un- unfortunately, is much more stronger and, and has no fear. That's important. They don't fear. They don't have fear, you know, to, 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 to have all this aggressive policy. That's, that's obvious.
0: Right. So the, so the idea to remake this work for Venice, when did that come to you when did you decide that actually this was the perfect work to represent your work at the Ukraine pavilion at Venice
2: well you know first of all as any work you know as an artist I can't I can't approach and I can't send my work to the uh, to the jury because it was a decision of the jury in Ukraine because there were many many projects there was five projects and they chose our project at the end of summer in 2021 and since that we started to work over the project and uh, at that time, as I told you, even before the war, we realized that it has a, a, a big, big connection towards the, generally to the situation in the world, the situation in culture, politics, and economy and everything. Uh, but plus, of course, I'm an artist still, you know, I'm not doing any kind of political statements. You know, it was a metaphor of the situation of any private person and of the global situation in general, you know. And therefore, we were t- we were working on this project, you know. Somehow. And the fact that we have to remake it is only is only because it basically was all done, and we can't transport because it's quite heavy. We can't trans- we couldn't transport it when the war started, you know. So we took the main part, as I told you, Maria Lenko took the main part, and and then we found the possibility to remake it here, and I hope it will be done here, as uh, according to because we had all our engineering, our engineer drawings, everything all all our sketches here and he's the firm here in Italy they it's so very it's a small but very good firm near milano and they said that we can do it everything and we will do it like you wanted you know so let's hope for the best you know let's hope for because next week i think we have to go to milano to to talk to the people to see how 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 what is the progress with the situation and that's it
1: and and the fountain of exhaustion. So for those who haven't seen it before, it's a twelve tier pyramid of steel funnels with water, so like natural water flowing into Ooh. into the one at the top. And then each funnel splits into two and it okay. divides the water before more funnels at each level. And I heard that in Venice, the other kind of challenge for you has been that it's a historic kind of building that you're installing it in, and therefore you can't actually like attach the work to the wall or even have a source of water. So it does sound like just so much any kind of challenges and
2: well you know because, well well okay. yes uh, thank you for the question but comparing to the challenges that we have in our life now because we left everything behind and and the country is in war and uh, we don't know where we can come back we want of course to come back the moment the moment i feel we can go back to Kharkov, i will definitely go back to Kharkov. because as an artist i have I have a big problem to work away from the city where i'm living and uh, the next thing, and I always had it, you know, it's not just now, uh, and I was headed, you know, I I, I I wasn't, in the last 25 years, I wasn't going to any kind of international symposiums or things like that because I can't imagine how I come to a place and do something in one month or two months, you know. Also because I'm working, I, the period that I can do the work and be half a year, a year, so it depends. But uh, the other things, you know, that, um, as you said, uh well uh these funnels first of all they're made of bronze they the these all this basin and everything this is made of steel the funnels are made of bronze and yes, that's true but the funnel is have these two noses you know that's basically the the main difference between the usual funnel that you use to put to pour the you know liquid from one bottle to another is that they have two noses and every time it divides into two and it can have 12 levels and have i have for example one one uh version of this fountain which has 21 level for example but it never has been used with the water but it's still i have enough funnels more than 200 220 something funnels you know for that and we decided but every time for any new i, I made maybe about five or six different funnels the first was one was simply made out of metal that's two and then it was uh, from bronze and then it was made from from copper and from different sizes things you know and uh, and uh, I do think that uh, uh, practically, practically, you know, the effect you you can you you can make it as big that the water definitely will never go to the very end, you know. Somehow, but for me, as I, as I would like to add lines once more, you know, for me as an artist, it's important uh, to show this metaphor, to show this constant division, to show that the water starts to 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 do. Kind of, to evaporate, to to lose its force, you know, and to become drops smaller, 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 smaller. So it's definitely, and practically, the, this movement of the water in this fountain is quite chaotic. You know, you can see that first maybe three, four levels you still have streams of water, then they starts to be not streams, then the water falls down, then the water falls. So it's it's quite it's quite um, Realistic picture of our uncertain world. That's it. So there's, it's, it's not like a well balanced, well done. You know, somehow it's kind of how we are.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, so we understood. Well, you, you, you said that you don't really like to leave the city to make your work, but, but a big, big part of your work is. Influenced by living in a city, there there is an absolute fascination within your practice of urban environments. Exactly,
2: exactly right. Because I, I all my life, nearly all my life, I lived in the big cities. You know, I have changed quite a lot of them in my life, especially while living with the parents. But yeah, that's true. The structure of the city, this labyrinth of of the city, always reminded me about the labyrinth of our feeling and our relations among the human beings, and and it's always was very close. And on one side, we all hate cities for being polluted and many cars and all that stuff, you know. But at the same time, city. But at the same time, we don't have to forget city. Human beings started to build cities to protect themselves, and in the city you feel much more protected than in open field. You know, that's true as well. So this, this uh, always, you know, this dichotomy of you want the double meaning of that life in the city and everything. It was interesting for me. And you're right to say that I was always more or less uh, encouraged by, by by the image of the of the big city. That's
0: true. I, I've read that you said that it was because um, I mean, you 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 were born. You're ethnically Russian. You were born in Russia, but you left there at the age of three or four. I think you yeah, yeah. moved to Ukraine with your family, and you you and Ukraine's your home. But your childhood home doesn't exist anymore. Your your grandmother's house that was yeah. in Russia, and there's something about always looking to find the security of that that's in a way now yes. from your past.
2: well anyway yes you're getting too deep down into my life somehow where that's true mm, the where the, 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 my, the house of my childhood was destroyed in the Soviet days you know the, my grandmother received a one-room flat in the high flats it was near St. Petersburg well it was a part basically of St Petersburg suburban part where she had a house but then she had the house the garden. Well ethnically I'm not exactly Russian I my grandfather was Czech you know my mother is half Czech you know and I'm but at the same time you know you you understand very well and I ha, I don't have to explain hopefully for you in Great Britain that ethnical question for me is somehow somehow doesn't exist because uh, because you know this question was important in in, in uh, German it's between 1933 and 1945 you know thanks god you know in my passport it's only one it's only one mentioning, you know, I'm citizen of Ukraine, that's it, you know, that's enough for me, you know. And, and for everybody in Ukraine, it's just enough, you know, because the ethnical situation, the ethnical question doesn't exist now. And it's normal, I think, you know, and I hope that in, well, I have been many times, especially in the 90s, in the United Kingdom, and I, I never felt that anybody was basically interested in the color of your skin and what kind of ethnically were you're from, and that's it. It's maybe now quite important for Russians, you know. But, well, <laughs> because, but it's yes, they they trying to save us here, you know. You know, let them go to hell with the saving. You know, I'm sorry, you know, because when we touch this question, I can be a little bit, I can be a little bit uh, <laughs> out of my mind.
0: Yeah, of course. I mean, absolutely, totally. Yes, but if you've yeah. you been giving a lot of interviews, I think I've. I've, I've You've, you've been must have been given a lot of interviews at the moment, but there's, there's something about you said that information is important for the world to hear from people. It's it feels like yes, from the horse Your message, your art is your message, but also
2: Yes, yeah. exactly. It's it's like you know from the horse You know as you say in Great Britain, you know that's I was there. I was taking my mom, mom from from her flat when the Russian missile bombed the central police station. It was 500 meters away from the house of my mom in the center of the city. In the front, the, so I, I and and you know you you know of course you know I have a hard time now. For example, uh, for example, I can see that some artists also in Ukraine they do something about war. They some they do art about that. You know, I I, I can't really do anything. You know, here in Venice, you know, what I'm doing is 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 simply a, it's more or less not so much artistic thing. You know, I have to control how it's done. You know, creativity was already it was already behind. You know, because the project was done before and i'm not quite sure that i'll be able to generally work here I'm, i can promise you that i wouldn't but i'm not sure that i will you know because it's i feel myself a little bit you know a little bit of course uh how to explain it you know useless when i'm working and from one point of view but from another point of view you know i've when i saw what i have seen just in eight days it, and not, it's, it's it's not like i'm a hero or whatever you know i was just in my city and i saw it all in eight days i saw how the center was devastated And and it was enough for me to realize that art is unfortunately, I always was saying that, but art is unfortunately much more weak than any life, much less dramatic than any life can be. Art can help us to survive, you know, to go through that life, but hardly it can really change it. Oh, it can really change it, but in generations, you know, drop by drop, you know, drop by drop. Maybe, yes, that's true. But look, look now at the situation with Russia so-called great Russian culture. Many questions about that. And what to do with the great Russian culture? But if the great Russian culture produced this, let's say, not humans, but animals who are devastating, you know, my country, knowing, and, and plus, plus, they are saying, at the same, at the same moment, they're saying that they're trying to save us from whom God knows, of course. They do know. We don't know from whom they want to save us, you know, because we had an absolutely normal life in Ukraine. And therefore, you know this great culture after, let's say, four hundred years of exer- existence, they produce that that, that bloody stupid animals who coming with the weapons and killing people in another country just because they want to save us from what I don't know from life maybe that's true they're saving Ukraine from life, you know, successfully. And in fact, you know, look what's again what's going on.
0: No, you, you were saying you said earlier on that you, you, you've been waiting for it to come for a long time. It's been expected. And uh, something I read, which I found really incredibly fascinating, that from like the 2014 invasion in the Donbass region, that Ukrainians, you know, you've, you've been working to support the defence efforts for many years. And you actually had a friend in Donbass who actually bought a machine gun and a bulletproof vest from the sale of one of your artworks.
2: Well, you know, it wasn't exactly like that, you know, I simply, I was, in the last two years, you know, my professional situation was quite good, you know, I was selling quite a lot, and let's say I have never ever plans to be a millionaire, as you can understand, as any normal artist, you know, and I felt that I have some extra money, you know, we have enough of everything, you know, we, I had enough for everything, for travels, I have a, I have a car, we have some, we have everything what we want to eat, and to drink as well, you know, so, and if I have some extra money, why not to use them, plus, yes, we were making, um, we were making during these eight years, we were organizing, not me only, but uh, my, uh, mostly it's people who were organizing, I was taking part in it, I was giving my works. We were organizing the auctions, the charity auctions, and then all the money was going, yes, to the army or to the medicals, you know, connected to the army. But at the, same, at the last time, pr- practically a week before the war started, this, not the war started, but the second stage of the war started, because the war started eight years ago. Week week before that, I I realized that I, for example, okay, donate $3,000, you know, and uh, I I found privately, I didn't want to donate to any kind of organization, I decided I would like to donate it certainly to a person, I met this person and he is a fighter, you know, he was fighting for, even though that he is a, he's a soldier, but he's, he's generally, he's a teacher of history, you know, (laughs) 45 years old. Uh, but he is very well prepared and he was taking part in, in combatments uh, since 2014. And uh, yes, it was possible for him to buy a new, new arms, you know, and also bulletproof, very good bulletproof jacket. Because you can't imagine for $3,000, can't, you can't even equip one person in, in, in a perfect way. It's, let's say, half of the money you need to equip one person for, for, for him to be protected and to be ready to really fight on a high professional level. That's true, but we met, you know, he's alive, he's he's now around Kharkiv, you know, I'm very happy I helped him, you know, somehow, so, because, you know, as 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 an artist, I'm not really very nice in, 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 in keeping arms in my hands, you know, and my, my things, to a certain extent, I'm here in Venice also because I'm 63, you know, because if I would be before 60, you know, I wouldn't be able to leave the country, which is absolutely normal in the situation of war. I could do something else, but right now I also think that this obligation, this my duty, not only mine, but of the curators here to make this project is also important because, because uh, Ukraine should be represented in Venice, you know, even during the war, even more to it, maybe even during the war it should be represented I- even more <laughs> represented somehow.
1: I I also agree with this. I can totally understand the perspective of like, almost like a helplessness or, you know, what is the point in, in art at, at a time when, when such serious devastation and destruction is happening. And, um, you know the murdering of 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 normal people like every day, but at the same time, I do think lo- there is something about um, the kind of legacy of artworks and also the 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 significance of the Ukraine being represented at this time in the Venice Biennale, like you say. And if you think about an artwork, you know, in time, how it can change and have its own life, and it can go on for you know decades and decades and decades into the future. If we look back to the '90s, um, I know that you actually installed the fountain of exhaustion in a different context on a wall in um in Kharkiv but um it was a it was an outsider artist's house um Oleg Mitasov Mitasov, who who made these incredible um drawings yeah can you speak a bit about that that installation and and that artist and why it resonated with you
2: well, you know, if we speak about Oleg Mitasov, uh, I wouldn't insist that he was an artist. You know, he was uh, a mentally ill person. And his this mental illness, you know, somehow he was really uh, uh, overwhelmed by this. Sweeten- when he was already like about maybe th- more than 30 years old, he was already working. He was, I think, an encounter. He had a um, university education. And the fact is that he lived close to our art academy in Kharkiv and everybody knew him. I saw him privately and uh, at the time of his remissions, you know, because he had this kind of remissions and then uh, these attacks of his disease. He was coming to us, sometimes even asking for some paints, you know, and we were giving him some secondhand, let's say, paints that we don't need any longer. And he was painting. but. You know, I don't think he would consider himself to be an artist. He was simply a person, yes, mentally ill person. But, you know, what is, what is important about, uh, we know, the general interest in the 20th century towards the art of the mentally ill people. In fact, in London, I saw, in the 90s, I saw the Hishorn Collection, you know, this collection of the Austrian doctor who collected art of the mentally ill people. And uh, uh, I was also incredibly influenced by this. And I would like to say you why, because at the situation of, in our situation, in social situation of any artist, you know, in the capitalistic world, you know, or even in in the in the Soviet world as well, you you are socially dependent, whether you like it or not. You know, you have family, you have to eat something, you have to live somewhere, you have to pay for that this and that and that. And uh, even if you try to be as much independent as possible as an artist, you know, you still have some kind of social restrictions about this independence. And what is important that the mentally ill people, they're absolutely without any kind of restrictions because they don't feel this social dependence. Plus, more or less, like collection of Hishkorn, you know, they were produced in the hospitals where this method was used to, let's say, to help people to overcome the disease. And they were not thinking about the social situation for them, you know, because they they didn't have to pay for anything, let's say. So they didn't have to have any special contact with Morte. There was, uh, at a certain point, they were separated from the society. And uh, I realized why it was so interesting in the 20s, for example, for the German expressionism, it was very, extremely important, the art of this. And you remember this exhibition that Hitler later made that... Uh, what I don't remember exactly this name that is kind of de- de- mm-hmm. de- degenerative art or something like that. You know, I may not pronounce it ni- nicely. Degenerates. Degenerates.
0: Yeah. Yeah, degenerates. And remark, he yes.
2: used the, the and he used the art of the avant-garde artist and the art of the mentally ill people together to to show how close it is and that it's all bullshit. You know, which is not true because these people, being not dependent on the on the society, they. Basically like a, like a camera tone, you know, because they produce absolutely independent points of view, which is for any artist who is involved in society is very difficult to reach. It's like 100% independent point of view, you know, and then and you're 100% you 100% you say what you want to say, you know, and you don't depend on anything on sales, on auctions, on galleries, on whatsoever, you know. And this was always kind of, uh, of a goal for any artist, for any normal artist in the world, you know, and that's why it was important. So, of course, uh, I would like to say that this, this would have produced Oleg uh, Mitasov is kind of a, an incredible social picture of our life, visual social picture of our life, you know, of, of life in the Soviet Union, especially because even though he died in 1999, it, Everything he started, I remember him since I was a student in the academy since 1979 when I was at the first year and then five years I was in the academy in Harke. So therefore, it was a, for me it was also like a thing that I could never reach, but I always wanted to reach this kind of being of being absolutely free and being absolutely saying what I want to say. And of course, then I yes, I put on one of the walls this fountain. You know, I, obviously, I put it also because I wanted to try how it works with the water. <laughs> And uh, and then one of my friends, he did this, this photo of mine, and then it's used, you know, and at that time, yeah, and it was that, you know, see, in fact, this fountain, this very first fountain is now uh, in, in our summer house out of Kharkov, 20 kilometers out of Kharkov, and this part is very close to the Russian border, it's only 25 kilometers away from the Russian border, and this part was occupied in the first day, and it's all and the first fountain, and our, my collection of art with my wife, you know, in our small... Some houses are staying there under under occupation now. But well, okay, we hope we'll get it back.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean the documentation is so powerful of that moment actually. And there's graffiti on the wall behind the installation. Yeah, exactly. And the translation in English said, um, "Not to lose faith in people, to everything living, not living." where on earth.
2: Yes, exactly.
1: Powerful. Yes, um, exactly. It's, it's
2: extremely powerful uh, g- graphic images. You know, I saw a few times in the in the 80s, I saw a few times kind of punk art, also in Great Britain. You know, I saw it later in the 90s, but I saw this art from the 80s and I realized it was quite close to Mitasa. But, mm-hmm. you know, punk art, whether we like it or not, is again, it's produced by the artists who to this or that extent, you know, they're even fighting against the society that still are part of the society. And the mentally ill people, you know, these these people, they're absolutely, they're not dependent on the society. They don't think about it, you know, and, and that's what gives them absolute freedom, 100% freedom. Yeah, it's a kind of
1: truth, isn't it? Authenticity or unfiltered kind of mark making as well. Yes, it's,
2: it's actually, it's like, it's, like a, it's like, you know, it's like, not, it's like 100% gold, for example. This is 100% truth, you know. Then 100% gold, we nearly not use it. It doesn't exist somehow, but, but and we use the less or like metal, you know, that's, it's, it's exactly like that. It's exactly like that.
0: What is the uh, art community like? I mean, I know it's, it's different now, but prior to the invasion, what is the art scene like? Because as, as being from where we are, we have friends that have been in the Future Generation Art Prize, which is at the Pinchuk Art mm-hmm, Centre mm-hmm. in Kyiv. And that's a regular thing that I've never been. I don't know if you've been, Rob, but it's somewhere where it's seen as an absolute destination for art and it houses international artists. And it's a really important, relevant moment for any artist's career to be showing there what is the what is the actual community like in the in the art the art world I guess in Ukraine
2: well you know it's quite different um, and it's interesting you know because the we have a very big generation gap between my generation because when we came uh, to the melting point let's say I received a very good education and of course I had to be in the Soviet Army it was obligatory and in the 1986 I went out of the army and the perestroika so-called perestroika started. And we could, at that point, we could do whatever we wanted already because during the Soviet times, I I never, I never, ever expected that my career of the artist be successful in the Soviet Union. I, even my English is due to that because I wanted to become a teacher of English to make some money, you know, to 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 make the second high education to get the second university diploma and and be a teacher of English, you know, and, and and in this way to make some money and and then continue to be an artist, let's say, under, in, in, on an underground level, uh, because official in Soviet Union it would be it would be very it would be nearly impossible to be to to be honest. Even, even 50% honest, let's say so, uh, as a human being and as an artist. But then suddenly you can do whatever you want, and we were well prepared. And our generation, you know, we developed in the 90s. Then what happened, you know, we nearly have nobody between us, except maybe for two artists in Kyiv, we nearly have nobody between us who is now, well, I'm 63, and who is now 40. We lost one generation in the 90s because many people were taken away by the money of the design studios, of the interior design, or the graphic design, and things like that. You know, there was suggested Even I had a suggestion to be, uh, you know, what do you say, uh, an art director of one big advertising firm. You know, I refused. You know, I was, I would, I would be very well paid. You know, and the people couldn't understand me, but I said, well. If I would be an art director of a big firm, I would never be able to work as an artist, you know, somehow, even though having the money, then what the money is for. And, uh, but then, you know, the new generation arrived somewhere in 2004, and it was a very interesting generation. Uh, and they are, they, already, they are already not, not very young now. They, as I told you, they're around 40. But it's also another generation who is about 25 years old now, and also very interesting and very different. Let's say that this generation from 2004 was more, let's say, socially and politically orientated and more skeptical. You know, the new generation, young, these young artists, you know, in Ukraine, they are much more romantic, uh, metaphorical, you know. Well, it's also interesting, you know. So somehow, of course, our generation is slowly but already going away because three of of the great artists from my generation whom I love a lot, you know, they're already unfortunately dead, you know, but for for national reasons, you know, because, you know. Uh, And, uh, well, and the, you know, the life was quite vivid, especially in Kyiv and Lviv, also in Kharkiv, but the Kharkiv situation was quite special. Uh, Kharkiv produced, always produced, if you know, maybe Boris Mikhailov is a very famous, if not the most famous artist from Ukraine. He's a photographer. He also is coming from Kharkov. Kharkov is very famous for its photography and the school of photography there. You know, already that is going on for three generations. You know, but most of that is they at a certain point they're leaving Kharkov for Kiev. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, what is interesting that the, uh, in 90s some of my generation was leaving Ukraine, which from my point of view was a mistake from the very beginning uh uh also from the point of view of a career uh because I, I do think that artist belongs to the place where he works you know i can't i can't imagine you can travel you can work somewhere there's no problem but you always have to but my main problem now i have no place to come back well okay ukraine exists my city exists but right now at that moment you know i i don't i don't have this place to come back and i know whether it be possible or not you know god knows i hope yes because Kharkov is staying staying quite strong, you know, and they can't do anything with the army. That's why basically they destroyed the city, the civilians. But uh, that was, uh, and in, the, in these last two generations, none of them practically left Ukraine. Uh, now they all stayed here and they all realized already that they part of this culture. And it's also important because yes, Ukraine have its long lasting history of culture since the ninth century because of everything. Then it was the you know that it was long history because then it was Tatars in the twelfth century, then the Russia came over, you know, and it was total since that, you know, it was a constant fight also between you for the independence for the culture for everything you know there was many laws in the 19th century there were the Ukrainian language was prohibited in the Tsarist Russia it's not the story of the last 30 years of the, or or the story about the Soviet Union not at all but i think now that for the 30 years of independence Ukraine got quite a lot with a big with a lot of problems you have to understand i'm i'm i'm, I'm not absolutely uh, my eyes are open i know that we have hell a lot of problems also inherited from the soviet union is the corruption is all this stuff but you know all these 30 years ukraine was getting better and better and better you know and it was slow yes you always want that it would happen during your lifetime yes. why not you know but i am now already 60 i will be soon 64 you know and it it's it's not yet finished you know but you 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 understand that you did what you could, you know, for this country, and it will be the next generation who are coming. So, and this artistic life, it was quite. Well, for me, it was quite interesting. I have I have a very good connections, and what I would like to say that very warm connections with the young generation, you know, designers and artists, you know, and it's and uh, I was making even exhibitions together with the younger generations, and it's like that, you know, because I never felt that if you achieved a certain goal in your career that you, you know, because. The artist who is thinking about his career—it's a little bit—it's a little bit different in Ukraine. If you think about career too much, you know, you stop to be an artist. You know, then that, that then it's like an enterprise, it's like a business. You know, then I'm I'm not doing business. You know, I, I'm drawing. You know, if I'm coming to my studio, I, I, I can't imagine myself that I start to work thinking about what kind of effect or what kind of result I will achieve during the exhibition or whatsoever. You know, this would be the end of the work.
1: And, and you mentioned their drawing, and drawing has been such a key kind of um, component of everything that you do, and also um, intaglio printmaking. Can you speak a bit about how that came to you? Did, did, did you always draw from, from a young age, and, and why is drawing so, still so important? Uh, and
0: what is that process, in intaglio or intaglio? That's something that I've never come across apart from researching you.
2: Okay, intaglio is a very old-fashioned but absolutely existing term to say about all uh, all type of deep printing, like etching, engraving, everything. What is, what, is, what is a deep printing? You know, there is a flat printing, then there's lithography, and then there's the deep printing. And the deep printing is etching uh, and engraving. And you can say also this about the dry point as well. So this is all intaglio, but this term comes from, from legend. It's all from, from inside, you know, somehow. But And it's generally, it's about any kind of print based on this technology. So this is about Ndangelo. But the thing is, that's true. I, I graduated the Crimean Art College as a painter. And then I went to the Academy of Fine Arts and I choose graphic arts and printmaking, especially because I simply wanted to learn another language, let's say so, because I thought to myself, maybe I was a little bit too... Uh, ambitious, you know, but I thought that, okay, with the painting, I more or less know what to do, you know, then I want to learn another language, you know, and it would be graphic design and things. So of course, drawing was always um, a main stuff that we, we learn in the art college and the academy. Generally, education, professional education took me 10 years, you know, five years in the art college and five years in the academy. And, uh, but you know, what is the difference? You ask me, really, the, the difference between the drawing and painting, you know, the drawing is always, um, it's a research. And for me, painting is a statement and I like to, I like the research. I realized that the main, most important works you do during you moving towards the goal. When you got to the goal, you invented, if we can use the language of, of fashion, you know, you invented the new silhouette, but on the way to this new silhouette, you know, in, you, you, you made many mistakes, but these mistakes is the most interesting and important. And all these mistakes is mostly done in drawing. And then when you realize that you did the work that you always wanted, you can, you can play a little bit. You can, you can work again using the, 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 the vocabulary of fashion world. You can use some pret-a-porter. But this process can't last long because making too much pret-a-porter, you will fail to go further on somehow. But at that moment, normally for the normal creative person, you, you, you are at the point when you realize you have another idea and you don't know how to reach it and you start to work towards the new silhouette. And this is this is this is it's in any it's in any kind of creativity. You know, it's not just art. You know, it's about, for example, doctors. It's about engineering. It's about everything like that. You know, the principle is the same for everybody who is creative in this world. And uh, drawing is because it's research. You know, because you have a thin end of the pencil, like thin end of the needle, as well when I do etching. But with the etching, it's very important. I stopped to do a maybe crucial thing that happened to me. I stopped to do any any uh, uh, editions in the 1996, I made the last edition. Because generally printmaking ah, so they're is- They're all unique. Yes. What, what, I can, what I will explain why. I realized that addition edition, basically edition, let's say, so as an artist, I'm satisfied by making, I, I made a plate, I make the first print. as an artist, I'm satisfied again. Then what's going with addition? edition? Edition is only for the money. It's natural. And in the 90s, you know, the market in Ukraine was not that great that I can sell, for example, 25, 30 prints, you know, from my plate, you know. There was no necessity to make 25, 30 prints. I'm, I'm talking about 25, 30 prints because normal edition would be 200, 300, you know, whatever, you know, on the West. Okay, but plus to that, you know, I, was not, I wasn't interested in editions, you know, even from the material point of view. And then, you know, it came to me that, but etching has a very special, etching and engraving have a very special thing. It was, uh, images made in these technologies was always the visual images of describing of the world since, let's say, 12th century to the end of the 19th century. Everything that, um, uh, all the explorations of the world, all the trips around the world were more or less illustrated with these technologies. So it had an image of the document, and this was incredibly important for me because all my art, which I'm doing, I consider to be more or less like a document. It's more or less like my diary. Well, I'm coming to that's why I like also paper because paper is something. This is this is not important. It's not like you know you're coming to the canvas. You have a brush. It's like you have to create art, and when you work with the paper, plus mostly when you print, you know, you you have this paper wet. You know. And it can be torn, and you can glue it together. And so, and so you don't feel this responsibility of an artist, you know. It's just your story. You tell the story. And this is so exciting. And then I started to make small, small plates, etched, etched plates. Plus, you know, the process of making this plate, for example, I need a house, I need a tree, I need an animal. And I do them. And I do them in a very traditional way, in fact, like they were done during the 15th, 16th, 18th. And plus, one thing is that this way of doing them is incredibly reliable from point of view of you can make 1,000, 1,500 even prints from this plate without losing, seriously losing the quality of the print. But it's not about addition because some of my works are made out of, let's say, from 10 to 100 different copper plates. And some of my works, um, are, they have from 1,000 to 10,000 prints from these copper plates which means that I'm doing the work for a half a year for example for a year and I'm using different copper plates from the past I'm making some new ones and the process of printing became for me as it's the most creative pr- process you know how I do it is another question you know because many people they can't understand how I can print it like that but it's I wouldn't be able to explain you right now just by the words you know but I I have I have a very good etching press I bought myself as a present, a very good big Holland uh, the, the Dutch Dutch etching press, which is uh, 1 meter 20 wide and 2 meters 20 long, you know, and I can, I can work with all the sizes, you know. But that's true, I'm coming and I'm printing, let's say, from 50 to 100 prints on one piece of paper and combination of these uh, copper plates, how I put them together. And then when it's finished, you know, I can stretch them and I can work over with the drawing, with the colors, well, color pencils as well, you know, so this is, but, you know, explaining technical process uh, without showing it is a little bit, it's a little bit tricky thing. You know, I, I'm not quite sure that you will understand, but the fact is that's true. Since 1996, I don't have any kind of editions, but I have works with more than one 10,000 prints on it.
0: Got it. I mean, it's, it's incredible work. How do you, how are you feeling about uh, the Venice Biennale and being, being there and seeing all the other pavilions and well, you know, experiencing, Oh, now
2: well you know first of all of course you know my feelings about here and my being here is more or less my feelings about making my duties i i consider it to be my duty now to represent ukraine not only mine but of all our team i would like to admit that again that you see even uh, our, our team is uh, my all my curators is less than 35 years old but is only 32 uh, he is of course in lviv now he can't leave the country you know lisa german she gave birth to her to her son, and 10 days ago, she is also staying in Ukraine. Though we planned her arrive here, that she would arrive here before the war, but now, of course, it's very complicated, difficult, and nearly impossible because nobody's flying. You can only go by car. And uh, from Ukraine, I mean, nobody's flying, definitely. and. Uh, and then we are here with uh, Marshall Enko. there was architect also Ira, uh, and uh, Miros and then we what I what I think about my situation here is it's it's a duty. And then situation is a little bit also sad because I do know what to do before the 23rd of April. then 23rd of April is the opening and then I'm absolutely I'm, I'm in, in total ununderstanding. understanding. You know, if I could go back, i would take my wife. My mother is now near Vienna in Austria. We found a place for her and the mother of my friend with whom we left. We found a place for them, very safe and good place to stay. There have good friends in Vienna. I was giving sometimes master classes in academy of arts in Vienna, and they helped a lot with uh, with uh, mm. accommodation of, of my, our mothers, you know. And uh, and here, you know, good news. I have enough money for two months to stay here. Then all my money is finished, <laughs> and of course all the commissions that I had before. I had more or less, you know. Future with the money because you you, you work you have some t- something to do. Some people bank banks it, now it's all it's, it's, as you can understand it's all over. So I don't know what to do because again working here. May I try? I may try to do it, you know. But first of all, the first second I understand we can go back to Kharkov, go back to Kharkov. You know, that's this is absolutely for me for me and my wife. This is a, this is not a decision to think about. This is already decided, you know. But if not, you know. Okay, because also maybe because I like Italy, I love Italy, let's say, so even with all the problems Italy has, I, I don't close my eyes on the problems of this society, because this society is also extremely, in fact, looks like Ukrainian. <laughs> well, corrupted, you know, and these things like that and that, you know, but people are very nice. Plus, you know, we and my wife, because of our love to Italy, we decided in 55 to start to learn Italian and... I, well, let's say my, my 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 Italian is maybe not as fluent as English. Well, well my English is also not something special, you know. But it's, it's okay, let's say. So I do understand it, you know. But my Italian, but I read I read a lot in Italian. Maybe my passive Italian is better than English because I'm mostly reading in Italian in the last seven eight years, and it, it helps help it helps like hell, you know, because here Italy have this very nice point about the people here when they hear that you speak. Of course they hear you're foreigner, you speak with the mistakes and an accent, but they're quite happy that you hear Italian, you know. They, they 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 and they show that they're happy that you speak Italian, you know, this is so it's easy for us, maybe easier than for example, in Germany where I, I can't say a word, you know, in Germany plus, you know, my relations with the German language.
0: We've got to say that your English is phenomenal um this is this is an incredible interview and and the hope is that if you do have to stay in italy that you can be influenced by living in an italian city hopefully the work will uh come from that experience and there's lots of ateliers i know there's lots of amazing printmaking studios
2: in yeah yeah, yeah 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 i know that rome in Rome, I have I have one when I was working, I was invited to the exhibition, Il Besonta in Florence. Yeah, that's true, you know, but still, you know, as I told you from the very beginning, you know, I would prefer to go back home. <laughs> because here is okay, but yeah. what can you yeah, do? Is, yeah. The only thing is that I always was fascinated in the last six years since I read it in the original. I first, in fact, read it in English, but then in, in the Ukrainian translation, very good. But there is an incredible book. And a very dramatic book, especially when you read it in Italian, it's, it's, it's a drama. It's not a journey. It's not a nice book about blah, blah, blah. But it's, and the book is about Italo Calvino, Invisible Cities. If you haven't ever, ever read, you know, I would suggest, mm-hmm. you know. But I would like to admit that when I read it in Italian, I would like it's, it's, it's 100% more full of drama inside of it, of drama of losing something, you know, drama of what happens with us, you know. This is a great book, Absolutely and uh, and uh, yeah, my... I have the I have the English translation here. Yes, you it? have yeah yeah yes. The first time my friend uh, because I have a very close and very good friend in Great Britain he's extremely from my point of view good artist you know David Rees Davis he lives in home um, and uh, he gave me first time he gave me this book at the beginning of the 90s and I read it in English and then I read it in, in Ukrainian translation it's also good but Original has nothing to do with you know translation. Sometimes they they give you impression that this book is a certain kind of travel. Okay, this is this is always the the discussions between Marco Polo, or famous Marco Polo, and Khan Kublai in China, and this. Uh, but uh, generally, it's it's a, it's a great book about our society now. And uh, and I may mm-hmm. this is the only thing that. That gives me a certain kind of, I hooked a little bit by this book. It may happen so that in the future I will work with this book because I always want not to illustrate it in no way because I'm not doing illustrations. I, I don't like somehow the idea of illustrating the text. Um, but I do think that I will maybe be able to work, to make works in connection with this book and things. I don't know how to, I don't know how, but it's difficult for me now, as I told you, it's difficult. I'm sorry. yeah.
1: For those listening who want to read that book, it's by Italian writer Italo Calvino, and it was first um, published in '72.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, we, 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 um, I don't know if you've heard any talk arts, but we ask uh, the same questions at the very end of every uh, conversation to um, kind of bring all all our uh, interviewees together. So, if we could uh, broach those with you, um, please do. Prepared. Please prepared. Some people get a bit thrown, please, but
2: please the, do.
0: Okay. Well, the first question we ask is if you could do an art heist, uh, I don't know if you collect art yourself, but if you could have any work of art in the world and it could be anything you want from a tiny painting to a, a building or a park or anything, what would that be and why?
2: Oh, complicated questions. I would like to have not just one, you know that. <laughs> But definitely, but well, I'm collecting. I was even buying my art when I had some extra money, as I told you, and I don't feel that I want to 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 to, to save them. I never wanted this, you know. Some I was collecting art and buying art in my life. Um, unfortunately, a big part of the collection is again in the summer house, which is, I'm really feeling very sorry about that you know, because I don't know what could it be with that. But uh, what would I have, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe. Sitting here in Italy, I would say maybe Pantone because Pantone is an incredible, archi- you know, being an artist and drawing, especially working with the paper, I always like architecture like hell. I'm not an architect at all. I know, as I told you, I'm mostly working with the two-dimensional spaces and two-dimensional things, you know, but but maybe maybe pantheon, God knows, you know, because I like architecture like hell, you know, I, 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 I don't know. I like very much Miss van der Rohe. So the, pa- the
0: pantheon in Rome is what is, you want?
2: Yes, I would like, I would yes. Mies van der Rohe, of yes, course, yes. yes, yes. This, why not? Because this, this, this huge building with the hole inside, uh, on, on top of the roof, you know, and it's mm. staying there for nearly 2,000 years, you know. I was once, only once there. And I was absolutely shocked, you know. Every time I'm shocked, you know. I, I made a drawing of it, you know, in one of my etchings about yeah. Romanism. I know, I'm really shocked. Then let's say so. Pantone is it's, it's an incredible thing, you know. I would like to have it. But it will be free for anybody to enter. Even if, if, I, would be, if I, I would be an owner, I would say, please come in, you know. Don't, don't worry, you know. I, I own it, but it's open, you know. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an extraordinary building. Yes. It really is up there with the great. A sort of historic building. Yeah, but it? it's just totally breathtaking.
0: The celebration of looking up and and the light coming yeah. through. Yes,
2: absolutely, absolutely.
0: Feathers coming down, so it feels it feels angelic and it feels like otherworldly, and it's the next kind of the like, I it's think it's like pathway to Say again
2: something.
1: I always think like it's levitating. Yeah. It makes you feel about gravity.
2: Yeah, and then then this connection with the sky. You know, you're basically not well protected. The, the rain can come in. You know, the feathers are coming in. And this connection with this guy, you you are covered, but you still have this connection with this guy. This is is as an idea, as a conception. You know, <laughs> you know. I'm always saying the conceptual art it, it is not a child of the 20th century. It was always like that. It was always there. You know, you know. I also like, of course, I also like gardens a lot. You know, I mean, all different gardens. You know, and I, I do know one garden in in, Flore, in Florence. You know, which is which I would like to have definitely. You know, as well. You know, but that's okay. Let's stay with the pantheon. It's okay. You know. I'm, I'm anyway green enough to have it, you know. Yep, yeah, we'll get you Amazing. that. That's fine. Yeah, we'll gardens, take it
0: apart and we we'll get that to you wherever you are and that's fine.
1: <laughs> oh my God, I love the idea of Florence Gardens as well. Um, the other question we ask everyone is what is their favourite colour? But obviously that seems a bit uh, kind of irrelevant in a time like this. But I was looking... Um, at uh, the Instagram of the Ukrainian Pavilion, and they actually held one of your funnels with the double um, prong at the at the base mm-hmm. uh, against the water, and it's it's a kind of copper funnel that that's had a chemical reaction.
2: Yes, it's it, made of it bronze and it's,
1: it's blue. blue. Yes, it's blue. and it really got me thinking about. Yeah, oh, it's bronze. Okay, yeah, and it, it got it got me thinking about the power of color. Is there a color that that affects you deeply?
2: well you know yes two colors all my life affected me deeply i don't know why but it's 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 a combination of violet and yellow deep violet and deep yellow i don't know why you know as well as i told you i'm not a great painter you know i'm i'm, I'm mainly working with the colors I'm, i add colors to the drawing i'm working with the structure and add some colors to the structure because if you take for example a painter whom i like a lot adore simply matisse if you take away colors from his paintings, they just lost everything, you know. But if you take colors, for example, from the paintings of Picasso, they, they wouldn't, they, okay, they would lose something, but not many, you know. And Matisse, and, and I, I would like to admit that this is simply genius, those people who can use only color to express themselves. It's, it's, absolutely, it's a very rare thing, you in, in uh, know. But for me, yes, violet and, and well, deep violet and yellow.
0: Beautiful. Amazing. Beautiful. And what, what is the best advice you've ever received when it comes to your art?
2: The best advice. Best. The best advice. Well, you know, it's difficult because I have a very good teacher, Vitaly Kulikov, who's unfortunately his dad already, but he was old when he died, you know, in Kharkiv. You know, uh, what is advice? You know, I can't really say you exactly. Let's say maybe the main advice. No, I never heard it, you know, but I somehow know about it, not to be in a hurry. Maybe that's the main advice, you know, is not to be in a hurry with the life, you know. Maybe this one, you know, because, you know, being in a hurry or making something special for something. you know. Mm. I'm very bad in it, you know, I hate it, you know, somehow, in a way, you know. So maybe it was the best advice that I ever had, not to be in a hurry.
0: Don't be in a hurry. Slow down. Slow down. Yeah. Well, I, I just want to finish with, with a a quote. Yeah. I want to finish with a quote of yours, which is kind of spliced together. But we did touch on it earlier on. But you said that art does what it has to do. Art can't change the world. It's it's not special. It's just ordinary, necessary. It's a part of life. But art is constantly making short stories.
2: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. That's
1: absolutely true. Well, thank you so much, Pavlo. It has been such an honor and privilege to speak to you. Absolutely. No. Absolutely. And we wish you all the luck with
0: Venice, and hopefully we get out there to to see it and the attention that's gonna be on the Ukraine pavilion on your work is going to be fantastic and I, I yes
1: yeah, so. And also I, I think it's really brilliant as well that it can um highlight the continuing war but also um, you know the plight of the Ukrainian people and I know that a lot of our listeners have been writing in trying to find ways to support people in the Ukraine particularly artists and there is a Ukrainian emergency art fund which has um, been set up to support artists by, uh, affected by yeah. the war yeah. and obviously a lot of artists are actually fighting now and um, you know I've had to you know stop making art of course and um focus on saving their country and their culture and their and their families and um you can find out more about that through the Naked Room um gallery which is based in Kyiv and um they've set up a uh, a lot on Instagram as well and we'll be linking to that and they represent um, in order Pavlo, yeah. to stand with the Ukraine yeah and the foundation accumulates donations and it ends up like helping all different kinds of artists so it's a really special um way of supporting Ukrainian artists
0: absolutely and please follow at Ukrainian Pavilion Venice on Instagram and you can follow uh, the whole process of this. There was an official statement that went out a while ago uh, which was saying it was all touch and go, but now it's all go. And you can follow and see as the show gets installed and the opening and... Yeah, just... and
1: we'll be sharing images of um, Pavlo's work from over the years and drawings and sculpture and, and, and also that photograph from the... Um... The Mitasov um, flat where he installed in the 90s. But um, yeah, so if you go to at Ukrainian Pavilion in Venice, um, that's the best Instagram.
2: Well, yes. Well,
1: thank you so much.
2: Yes, thank you very much indeed. And plus, you know that you you can go to my site, you know, which is markov.com.ua, you know, and find everything there as well. You know, all my art books and all my works that I was doing in the last years.
0: Oh, great. Say that, say that website again, Pavlo. Say that again.
2: Uh, M A K O V, like my surname, markov.com com.ua UA like for Ukraine and uh, you will see the so-called practices you know. and if you go to practices and let's say so that all my works uh, it's information for you for example from 2005 is in these practices and all information about what I have done before the 2005 from 1993 also the first fountains and all that stuff and all these photos that you mentioned you know, they are in the art book uh, Chronicles of Utopia, from 1993 to 2005. This is also one of the practices. You'll find it, and then you have the PDF, and you can see all the pages of this book. And it's like not—it's not like a catalog. It's like my story about life. There are documents, photographs, my works. It's based basically. It's based on my works, you know. But there's many other things, and like a story through the through these uh, 13 years of my life. Again, as a diary, as I told you before. You'll find it in practices, but since 2005, you'll find ma- ma- no, no, not all of course, but main works. I was always putting on my side, and there are some things that are dedicated directly to the war. If you go to the uh, zeros and crosses, there is practice that zeros and crosses. There are many works about about exactly about what happens in, in Ukraine now, but it was done in, in 2017, 2016.
0: Okay. Amazing well thank you again, okay Pavlo. thank
2: you thank you very much indeed yeah Into thank you. you thank you bye bye
0: very privileged to be talking to you
1: today so for everyone listening you can visit at talkart for all images and we'll be back very soon thanks for listening bye, thanks Pavlo.
0: everyone bye Pavlo.
2: bye. bye everyone bye 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 bye